You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. As I said, the Ark of God represented the immediate presence and glory of God in Israel. David was right in considering it a high priority. I got to get this thing back. We need to get it back where it belongs. David was right in that. He was right to bring it out of obscurity. He was right to get it back before the people. He wanted the people to be close to God. He wanted the people to draw near to God. David wanted Israel to be alive with a sense of the presence of God and the glory of God. In early Israelite history, God's people viewed the Ark of the Covenant as a good luck charm. But as Pastor Dave explains today, it was the very presence of God with the people. And King David recognized its importance and desired the Ark to be among his people again, valued by the people, knowing God was with them. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 1 as he begins his message, David, Ark of the Covenant. We're going to be looking at 1 Chronicles 13 through 15, I hope. Moving our way through this really interesting book, it's going to start getting even more interesting. It is a repeat, remember. It's a repeat of 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. It's a repeat, but the emphasis is more on Judah and the kings of Judah as we go through. And so right now we're dealing with David and his want for the Ark of the Covenant and his victory over the Philistines. So... So, we come to chapter 13 now in the book of Chronicles, and as we studied last week, King Saul is dead. King Saul was the first king of the nation Israel, and he died. He and his sons died while in battle with the Philistines. Then David, the shepherd boy, who was anointed king 20-some-odd years earlier, now ascends to the throne. David is now the king of all Israel. Remember, it's not divided yet. It's still one nation. It's not divided yet. David has surrounded himself with mighty men of valor. He has the backing of every tribe plus the Levites. And he's, he's ready to move. He's ready to move forward as the Lord leads him. We studied that David captured the city of Jebus from the Jebusites. And he basically renamed it the city of David. Well, we know it today as Jerusalem, but it wasn't really part of Jerusalem. It kind of sits on the outskirts of Jerusalem, but it becomes Jerusalem. And he builds for himself a place to live. And in fact, in chapter 11, in verse 9, we read this. So David went out and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. So we see the secret of David's success. The secret of David's success was that Lord of hosts was with him. The commander of the armies, the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty was with David. And I think we're going to see this throughout everything we study, is that Lord was with David. And I think that's important that we look at it that way. And we have to remember that the Lord is with us. 
The Lord has placed himself through the Holy Spirit in us. He is with us on a regular basis. We carry him everywhere we go. He is with us to guide us and to lead us and to teach us. And we need to be relying on the Holy Spirit to help us in that endeavor. So David's army continues to grow. There are men from every single tribe who give their support and their devotion to David. And look at 1238. It says, all these men of war who could keep ranks came from Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel and all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. So you see unity here. Unity is extremely important. And one of the things that I pray for is unity within this body of believers. True unity through the Spirit, through being in one with God, one with each other, and one with Jesus Christ. A unity that can only come from studying God's Word. They were loyal to David. What made them loyal to David? What was one of the things that made them loyal to David? He was very successful in battle. That's true. And that will always draw people to you when they see your success. That's correct. That will draw people to you. But there was something more important that they saw in David. He followed God. God. And they saw that and it was evident in his life. And that made him successful in battle. And that drew people to surround him and to come to him because they saw God. Remember what we talked about when David first had his little ragtag army of 600? What a motley crew that was. They were depressed and they were in despair and they they had all these things happening to them. But they became mighty men of valor. They became strong because they caught what David had. We talked last week about Christianity being contagious. You catch it. You catch it from somebody else. You you catch it from watching somebody else's life and watching them go through a trial or watching them go through something and they claim to be Christian and you catch that vision that they have. So these men are extremely loyal to David and I love that. And we have the unity. So David is now on the throne of all Israel. He is there and he looks around and something's missing. Something's missing that's dear to his heart. Something that he knows was captured 20-some odd years before the Ark of the Covenant. And David know how important the Ark of the Covenant is to the nation Israel. Would somebody please tell me what the Ark of the Covenant represents? The presence of God. It represents the presence of God. They would sit it in the most holy place the Holy of Holies, they would sit it there and God would come and dwell between the cherubim. And the priest would come in and, 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 and that's where they visited with God and found out these things. So in 1 Samuel 4, and we studied this at great length when we were going through the book of 1 Samuel, during a battle with the Philistines, Israel was defeated and they captured the ark. It says in verse chapter 4 of 1 Samuel, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer and the Philistines in his camp in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array and it goes on and on and talks about all these things. Well, come to find out, they want to bring the ark out. They want to bring the ark out. They say, oh, we didn't bring the ark. Let's get the ark. And they bring it out kind of as a lucky charm. They bring the ark out. It's kind of a lucky charm. Look what we got. We got the ark. And even the Philistines, when they saw the ark, went, ooh, the ark of God. You know, they were really scared. 
And this was long before Saul. Eli, Eli, the evil priest, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they were all involved in this, and they were kind of like the leaders of judges of Israel. And this was before Saul. But they brought this out to a great big battle, and they were defeated. They were defeated because they thought that God was a lucky charm, and, and, and the ark was a lucky charm. They didn't consult God about the battle, and they just went out on their own. And during the battle which was prophesied earlier, Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And the ark was captured by the Philistines. You can read that all the way through, chapter 4, chapter 5, you know, and all the way through, and even 6 uh, and 7 as it's returned. So they, they capture the ark of the covenant, and they take it, the first place they take it is into their temple, and they put it in the same place that Dagon, their great big God is. And every time they come back, the God has fallen over. And they can't understand what happened to their God. So they prop him up and they come back the next day and he's fallen over again. And then finally, he come, they come back and his head's cut off and his hands are cut off and there's nothing left. And somebody says, you know what? We got to get rid of this thing. It's the Ark of the Covenant. We got to get rid of it. And they were all breaking out in boils and all sorts of crazy things were happening to these people because they had the Ark of the Covenant. It didn't belong to them. They weren't supposed to have it. It was God's special thing for Israel. So they put it on a cart. They put some cattle on it and basically whipped the cattle and said, shoo, get out of here. Go on. Go. Go that way. Go that way. But they, they said it's on its way. But the Lord still struck them with horrible tumors and horrible things that happened to them. The ark ended up at Kirjath Jerem, at the home of Abinadab. It ended up at Kirjath at the home of Abinadab, and it stays there for some 20 years. It's at this place. Well, then David becomes king, and Saul, and the whole thing with Saul, and all that stuff. David becomes king, which leads us into 1 Chronicles 13, verses 1 through 4. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and every leader. And David said to the assembly of Israel, it seems, if it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all land of Israel and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands that they may gather together with us and let us bring back the ark of our God back to us for we had not inquired at it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly that said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. There's several things wrong with that. There's several things wrong with that. David has been king now, and he consults his men to see if they should bring the ark back. But he doesn't really consult the Lord. He says, if it be of the Lord. So he made his plans, and he puts his plans out there and said, okay, Lord, here's our plan, bless it. And that doesn't work very well. He wants to do right in what is in the eyes of the people. It's good to take godly counsel from godly men. But our true counsel is from the Lord. Our true counsel is from the Lord. I told you about the best counsel I ever received 
was when I was a new Christian, I had a major problem that I wanted to talk to my pastor about. And we sat down on a bench on the Ocean City Boardwalk, and I said to my pastor, I said, I have a difficult time. I'm having a troubled time. He said, I will counsel you gladly, but let me tell you one thing. The same spirit that lives in me lives in you. And he's your comfort. He's your guide. He's your counselor. And that stuck with me. That stuck with me. God has placed a spirit in you to discern. We've been reading about that in 1 John. God has placed a spirit in you. And yes, it's good to get good counsel. And I guarantee if the spirit is talking to you and you get good counsel, it's going to line up. The counsel's going to line up. You're going to go, whoa, that's great. But what do we do? What do we do when I need help? I call you and I call him and I call him and I call them and I call them and I call them and I call them and I call the Pepsi truck driving by. I call everybody I want to talk to and then I go, gee, who should I follow? Well, if it's right in your own eyes, you follow your own eyes. See, don't you see there's a problem here? There's a problem here. So David gets off to a rough start. And Guzik said a group of godly men with good intention would soon make a significant mistake because they took counsel with each other and not with the Lord. Seek counsel. And then when you get the counsel, go to the Lord. Or go to the Lord first and listen to him and look at his word and then seek counsel to see if they match up. I'm not saying it's not wrong to seek counsel, but our, 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 our Lord has given us him. He's given him his, us himself to be our guide, to be our teacher. We talked about that. We talked about that in length in 1 John. As I said, the ark of God represented the immediate presence and glory of God in Israel. David was right in considering it a high priority. I got to get this thing back. We need to get it back where it belongs. David was right in that. He was right to bring it out of obscurity. He was right to get it back before the people. He wanted the people to be close to God. He wanted the people to draw near to God. David wanted Israel to be alive with a sense of the presence of God and the glory of God. You know that. You felt his presence before. You felt the glory of God with you in, in something that you might have done. You felt that glory and that wonderful thing to bring a present. This is a good thing that David wanted. This is good thing that David wanted. So David says, let's get together, gang, and we're going to go after the ark. Let's look at 5 through 7. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor in Egypt as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Balal, to Kirjath-Jerim, from up to Balal to Kirjath-Jerim, which belonged to Judah to bring up from there the ark of the Lord of God the Lord who dwells between the cherubim where his presence is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadad and Uzzah and Aio drove the cart. Uzzah and Aio happened to be Abinadad's sons. So as I said, David's desire to bring the ark of God to the people was good. They had the right idea, but they had the wrong motivation and the wrong method. What was mistake number one? The Levites weren't involved. Cart. They were putting it on a cart. Well, it's a new cart. No, they were putting it on a cart. Exodus 25 tells you that the design of the ark was supposed to be carried. And it was supposed to be carried only by the Levites and only by the family of Koath. Nobody else. That's why we went through the genealogy. Nobody else was supposed to carry the ark. 
Only the Levites, the priests, that's what they were called to do. We can imagine what these men thought. Look, we got a new cart for you, God. Isn't this great? We got a great new cart. We're going to take care of God. You're going to be pleased at this fancy new cart. And they thought their new technology and this luxury is going to cover their ignorance. Well, it didn't. We need to follow God's plans. And sometimes God's ways are so much different than ours. So much different than ours. And God wants us to follow him he wants us to follow him in a way that he's going to show us and he's going to guide us. And he has specific rules and regulations, especially in the Old Testament. There were specific rules and regulations on how to do things according to what God's rule was. The meaning of the names of the sons of Abinadad is interesting because Uzzah means strength and Aio means friendly. And Simon, who wrote this, it said, much service for the Lord is like this. A new great big cart, a big production with strength leading the way and friendly out front. <laughs> I love that. Everything was done without inquiring of the Lord. They didn't look to his will. And once they had the big cart, I'm sure David said, oh, Lord, bless this now. Bless this, Lord. Look what we've done for you. Bless this, oh, Lord. He didn't seek him. He didn't look to him. And we always want the Lord to bless our plans. We make our plans and go, Lord, bless our plans. Instead, we should be saying, if it's your will, Lord, help us. Open a door no man can shut. Shut a door no man can open. Help us with this. What is your place? What are we supposed to do with this? How do you want us to work? This was a good thing done in a wrong way. And it happened so quickly. I'm sure the Lord God wanted the ark where it belonged. I'm sure the Lord God wanted the ark back there, but they were doing it the wrong way. Look at verse 8. Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps and string instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, with trumpets. The worship team was just out there. They were having a ball. They were having a great time. The ark was there. Woo, the atmosphere was joyful. It was exciting. It was engaging. They were all gone by feelings. The problem was none of it pleased God. None of it pleased God. Why? Because it was disobedient to his word. Man, when you're in disobedience to God's word, I don't care what you do. Unless you're confessing and repenting, God's not going to be too happy. You know, we are tempted to judge a worship experience by how it makes us feel. I didn't like worship today. I didn't get any tinglys up and down my spine. I didn't like worship today because I didn't play my song. I didn't like worship today because it just didn't do anything for me. When, when are we going to realize that worship isn't about pleasing you? Worship is about pleasing God. Worship is pleasing to God. In fact, sometimes the prayer is, Lord, we're singing to an audience of one. You're worshiping the most high God. He's invited you into his throne room to worship him. I don't I like that song. I have to admit there are songs that I tend to like more than others. But if you're truly worshiping from your heart, how does God want to be worshipped? Somebody tell me. I heard it. In spirit and truth. John 4, that's what he told the woman at the well. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're worshiping in the spirit, in the moment of the spirit, with a truthful heart. It's not about how I feel. It's not about the songs. It's about him and him alone. 
That's why when we sing these songs, we, you have to look at them. They're always giving glory to God. They're always telling God how much we love him. They're always having God receiving his love for us. It's very, very important. We are driven to his word so that we can know how to worship. We are to worship in spirit and in truth. So they got this big parade. There's great big parades going on, but something happens. You know the story. Look at verses 9 and 10. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was roused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. Oh, Dave, that's pretty brutal. I can't believe it. Here he is moving the ark back. They're doing a good thing, and God killed this guy. What? Uzzah, remember what his name meant? Strength. Uzzah, in his strength, thought he could do something for God. And they got to the threshing floor, and it's believed that the oxen on the threshing floor kind of slipped on the hay, on the wheat, or whatever was there, and, and the ark kind of, and Uzzah went out and touched it to keep it from falling. In Numbers 4.15, it says, they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. God's word, not my words, God's word. It was a reflex action or an instinct. But God struck him down because his action was based upon critical thinking. He didn't think correctly. It didn't matter who transported the ark. It didn't matter how the ark was transported. He was error in thinking that because he stayed, the ark was at his father's house for so long, he had special privilege. I don't know, maybe. He heard and thinking that God couldn't take care of the ark itself if it started to fall. Oh, how many times do we want to help God out? How many times do we want to help God out? I'm going to help you out on this one, God, okay? David gets upset with this. This angers David. And you can understand why. There's some things in the, in the, in the scriptures that are difficult to handle. You can understand why. Look at verses 11 and 12. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, he called the place Perez Uzzah to this day, which basically means outburst. David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? David wanted to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, and it was a good thing. He did his best, but it wasn't good enough without the Lord. David cries out to the Lord, what's going on? I don't understand what you're doing. How come this is happening? You killed a perfectly good man, a strong man who had a lot of strength. One of my mighty men, you killed him because he touched your ark. What's going on? Notice it never records an answer to David. Anybody know why? Why do you think the Lord didn't answer David when he asked him, what are you doing? What's wrong? He already told him. <laughs> it was in his word. God had already told him how to transport the ark. He had already told him not to touch holy things. He had already said it. Sometimes when we pray to God and ask for a question and he's silent, that means it's here. We've been told it's in his word. And we need to look to his word. You are a sure. 
Thank you for joining us here today on Assure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of 1 Chronicles. This book follows the kingship of David from the time he was anointed king by the people until his death. Partway through, we watched David become troubled because he had a grand house, but the ark of the Lord remained in a tent. He wanted to build the temple for the Lord, but because he was a man of war, God chose Solomon to build it instead. Still, we see that David's heart was for God every step of the way. When Solomon was going to build the temple, David gave him an offering of gold, silver, and bronze for it. Is there a mission field you'd like to have joined? Don't let the limitations of this life keep you from offering your best. If you can't go yourself, you can still give to the people who God sends. We're so glad we get to spend this time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning at 8.30 or 10.30. And if you're an early riser, come seek the Lord's face together with us in prayer before the services at 7.30. You can find everything you need to know on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Once again, that's assurehoperadio.com. And don't worry, if you can't make it in person, on the website you'll find links to our live stream. Don't forget to come back next time as we study the word together on Assure Hope. Show. Sure.